0: Thank you and uh, welcome to you if you're visiting. My name's Kieran Carr. I'm the Locum Minister uh, here at St. Philip's now, which just means uh, an interim uh, here while we're looking for a new minister. Uh, You know, uh, in the uh, ancient times in in Israel and in the ancient Near East, probably the most vulnerable time for uh, a nation was when their king uh, died uh, because that's when they were kind of easy prey for the for the surrounding nations, the, the surrounding nations would kind of take the opportunity to take advantage when they were w- without a leader. And yet uh, in Isaiah 6, uh, it says, uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, uh, Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Um, So in this time of vulnerability where they were without a leader, uh, Isaiah gets a revelation of the glorious king of kings and lord of lords, high and lifted up, as if to say, don't put your confidence in a human king. Your confidence is to be in the king of kings and in the lord of lords. Get your eyes off the problem, get your eyes off the situation, and set your eyes on the king of kings and the lord of lords who is high and lifted up. And so it is good for us to go through a series on Revelation 1 to 3 in this time. Because in Revelation 1, we get a revelation of that majestic king in far more sparkling and resplendent detail to seven churches who were weak, who were suffering, who were trampled on by the Romans. And they're given a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as if to say, you need to reinvest your hope from human means and human might and human power. And you need to take it out of those things and you need to invest it in the glorious Son of Man, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And there is a steadfast hope. There is a security. There is how you'll be able to endure and to persevere no matter the circumstances or situation that you're facing. And so we're entering a season as a church where we're trying to consider our unique calling and our unique character Uh, as a church, and to discern that in our way forward. And so I thought uh, it would be good for us uh, to do a series on Revelations 1 uh, to 3, to discern that together. I'm inviting you to join us this Wednesday night to pray, and even uh, if you choose, uh, to fast, uh, to seek the Lord. Uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to be among us, blessing us in a sense for us to reinvest, to 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 kind of take our confidence and our confidence and security out of human means, humans, human power, and to put it into to his power and to his might. And so that's what we're doing uh, this Wednesday, and then following that is the consultation consultation on the following Wednesday. Uh, Don't be shy about coming, even if you're new. It would just be wonderful for you to come along to that. Uh, But in Revelation 1 to 3, we're getting a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we find out in that who we are in light of who he is. And what you see after chapter 1, which we're going to be going through in this coming season is Jesus speaking to different churches about their unique character and their unique calling. Uh, He has a combination of challenge or correction and comfort that he brings to these different churches. Correction about where they're going astray and comfort about where they're struggling. And different churches get different measures, you're going to see. Some get more correction than they get comfort, and others get more comfort than they get correction. And so the New Testament has a whole lot of letters from apostles that he's writing to different churches. But here is the only place in the New Testament where the churches are getting a letter from Jesus himself. Imagine that rocking up at your doorstep. I've got a letter for you from Jesus about your character and your calling, bringing you comfort. And bringing you correction about who you are specifically. But this is a letter that's written for us also. Because the refrain that we hear at the end of each of the letters is let those who have ears listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And so it is my hope that he will give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as we open God's word and see what it is that he's written there for us. But here's the core idea that I want to draw out this morning about... Our calling and our character. And it's very simple. It's in the passage. It's this. The church is a lampstand. The church is a lampstand. I want to get to that in a second, but I also want to show you before we get there that the passage that I hope you'll have open in front of you is full of the idea of brightness and light and shining So I think the most important um, phrase of this in in chapter 1 is verse 16, where it says his face, this son of man's face, was shining like the sun at midday, the brightness of his face. And then you get it in the second half of verse 14, where it says his eyes were like a fiery flame. In verse uh, 15, uh, his feet were like bronze as it is fired in a furnace. So, the picture here is of red, hot, pure bronze, like molten metal that's kind of glowing and shining and brilliant and pure. Uh, but the image of the lampstand, the, the word comes up four times uh, in the passage in verse 12. It says, when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. And then we get this glorious description of the Son of Man standing among the lampstands. But then we're told in verse 20 what the lampstands are. It says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So that's what the lampstands are. The lampstands that Jesus is walking amongst are the the churches, the seven churches. And so you've got this glorious son of man himself in our midst walking amongst the church, which means St. Philip's is a lampstand. That's our calling. That's our character. Our job is to shine God's light into a dark world. That's who we are. We're a lampstand. And so I want to unpack this with you, and I want to show four different things about God's light in the text. And the first... I want, to look, want you to see the judgment of God's light on darkness. Secondly, we're going to see the goodness of God's light in the world. Thirdly, the power of God's light in weakness. And fourthly, the source of God's light in Jesus. Now, the 7.30 congregation, let's get a uh, look at the judgment of God's light on on darkness. The 7.30 um, congregation very graciously said it was a great sermon, but it was too long. And so uh, I'm just going to give you a light version of of the first point uh, to not put you through the suffering that they had to endure uh, this morning. Uh, and, uh, and so the judgment of God's light on darkness, uh, you see that in verse 14 where it tells us that Jesus' eyes were like a fiery flame, which simply means that he sees everything and that he's going to judge everything. Uh, you know, we think of light primarily as, as a good thing, as a warm thing, as a beautiful thing, and I think that's right. But if you think about it, it's not if you're a cockroach. And in John 3 verse 19, the same John who wrote this says, Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And so we see this in the passage that Jesus has eyes like fire and he sees everything and that he is going to judge everything. Everything. It's why in chapter 6 verse 15 and 16 when Jesus returns so many people cry out hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. Firstly we see in this passage the judgment of God's light on darkness but now to move on to something a bit more cheerful about God's light and that's the goodness of God's light in the world. Uh, The core image of a lampstand is really about God's goodness. So if you're lost in a dark and freezing cold in the middle of a blizzard and ahead you see a campfire, that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It fills you with hope and light, the warmth and the light of this campfire. Well, the image uh, of the lampstand comes from, from the temple. We had an extra reading uh, today from Numbers chapter 8. Uh, and the idea of the light was firstly there were no windows in the outer sanctuary in the temple so it was to bring light literally, um, this is in Numbers chapter 8, but it was also to represent the light of God's countenance because in chapter, it uses the word light has the same word for the priestly blessing that I repeat most Sundays in chapter 6, the Lord make his face shine upon you. And so the idea in the temple is that these candles that were burning bright and never to go out are the radiance of God's countenance and joy and face on his people as you come into the temple. And so that's the image of the light here. So the place for God's blessing and brightness in the Old Testament was in the temple. But what John is saying here and what we're learning from Revelation chapter 1 is that the place of God's blessing and brightness today is the church. It's here and in the church universal. So Paul in in Philippians 2 verse 15 says, shine like stars in the universe amongst a crooked and perverse generation. We're to be shining God's light and God's beauty and brightness into the world. And so, You have this thing where in John, this theme of light and darkness is very strong in John. In chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew, chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You, the church, you, plural, you together are the light of the world. And so we see this image of these lampstands. Jesus is walking in their midst in resplendent glory. They are light, but the source of their light, the oil, if you like, is Jesus himself. But we tend to think of this individualistically. But it's a corporate thing. We cannot image all of God on our own. We're to do it together as a body So, Jesus goes on to say, You're the light of the world, you're a city on a hill. So, you can no more be the light of the world on your own than you can be a city on a hill on your own. Can you imagine a city with just one person? No, we reflect God's goodness and light uh, together, corporately, as a body. What kind of city are you going to be if it's just you? No, we do this together. And that's why we say we are the body of Christ, not I am the body of Christ. Uh, the churches are corporately shining God's brightness and blessing uh, into the world. Uh, and that's, by the way, it's important to remember, it's, that's not the church is not a building. These guys didn't have buildings. Sure, they met in people's homes, but the way that this light shines is through people in relationship together. And it's easy for us to fall into the idea of the church being a building, but that's not how God's glory shines. He shines in Christians together, living out his word and his ways. So I think we can do this. We can shine God's light out into the community. I think we see this happening in two ways. And the first way that we we bring that goodness into the world is through blessing because Jesus in Matthew goes on to say, let your light shine before others So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so it's about good deeds in the community around us. So the question becomes, is St. Philip's a channel of blessing to the community around us? Are people seeing our good deeds in Cottesloe? Are they seeing our good deeds and glorifying God as a result? Or is our light hidden away somewhere? So that nobody actually, no one in the community actually notices? If St. Philip's were to disappear from this community, would anyone notice that we're not here anymore? If we were to shut up shop, would anyone grieve our disappearance? To what extent are we as a community shining the brightness and the blessing of the goodness of God into the community of Cottesloe and beyond? Um, my friend John is a is a pastor in uh, Melbourne, and he I get his prayer letter and his news. And um, they live near a university deacon, and uh, he's a chaplain there. And they found when COVID struck, that all the international students at the university were isolated, stranded, uh, unemployed, and they literally couldn't feed themselves. And so uh, their way of being a blessing in the community, being light, having good deeds that would lead people to glorify God in heaven, was to make the offer of giving them groceries and food on a Saturday. And so they opened their church uh, to uh, make that offer. And, you know, the first Sunday there were a dozen people and uh, the next Sunday they spread the word that they were getting fed and there were 20 people and then 40, then 50. Now there's over 100 people that come every Saturday and this hall, imagine this hall empty and there's just a, a kind of a construct, what do you call it, a survey line of, of trestle tables with, just packed with food. And during COVID in Melbourne, can you imagine they'd like lined up on the street with their social distancing coming in and being, um, getting their groceries and their food for a week. And just, it's just a wonderful testimony of uh, shining God's goodness and God's light. Uh, And and he just sent through just uh, a week or two ago that one of these people has given their lives to Jesus and lots of them are actually volunteering to help serve the international community themselves. And the church has just come alive with all the people in the kitchen and behind the table serving all of this food. It's just a wonderful example of being a blessing in the community, being a lampstand that people notice. But the second thing the church does as a lampstand is in keeping with that first point about the light of God's judgment is that we shine a light on injustice. Now, the fact is that light and darkness can have nothing to do with each other and there's a lot of darkness in the world and there's a battle between light and darkness and so that Paul can say our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the powers and principalities and the dark forces of this age. And so the question for us is are we bringing the weapons of prayer to bear in our culture on the darkness that we see to see those uh, the light of God shine into those dark places and are we bringing the weapon of the truth? It's interesting that Jesus the son of man is depicted here with his sword, his mouth as a sword. Uh, that, that he's, there's, he's waging war against injustice and darkness with the truth of his tongue. And so are we bringing the weapon of truth to bear on the dark places that we see in our community and in our culture? Commentator Ian Duguid asks a great question. Would anyone in the community actually celebrate our disappearance because it gives them more room for their darkness? Now... Uh, I realise these are very challenging questions. What what kind of impact are we having on our community? How easy is it for the people in our community to basically ignore us and pretend that we don't exist? They drive past the sign, uh, inviting them to their services, uh, easily ignoring it, and find that there's not much on during the week that really catches their attention. Is that the case? but maybe it's a good thing for us to recognise our weakness. Maybe it's a good thing that we start there. As long as we take the next step and begin to realise, like we see in Revelation 1, his immeasurably great power to take weak people like us and to set us on fire for the gospel. It's not a bad thing to recognise that we have nothing to bring to this task of reaching the community As long as at the same time we also recognise his immeasurably great power at work within us to set us on fire so that we shine for him in our community. And he does that for us by his grace because God's power is made perfect in weakness. That's why we're going to get together to pray. Setting our eyes off ourselves and our own limitations and setting them on the glorious son of man to come in power, to set us on fire. And that leads us perfectly to the next point, which is the power of God's light in weakness. The power of God's light in weakness. Because in verse 16, it says, His face was shining like the sun at midday. But in the Greek, the word uh, is not midday. The word is dynamite, from which we get the word power. So it's, it's a, it's, his face is shining like the sun in all of its brilliance or all of its glory or all of its power. And this is what you see, but what you've got to realise in terms of the context here of the power of God's light is that these churches were a million miles away from Cottesloe. And I do mean that literally, like maybe not a million miles, but, but, but they're a long way away. But they're away from us in terms of our comfort and our resources and having buildings and things like that. In verse 9, John talks about being um, their partner in persecution. He's a partner with them. Because remember, John has been put exiled to an island on Patmos because he's been too busy preaching the word of God and talking about Jesus. And so they've put him um, in exile. And he's saying, he's writing to this church, is saying, we're partners, we're in the same boat. We're both in this weakness that we experience walking in Jesus' footsteps. You know, some of these... Christians that he's writing to would be impaled on a pole and covered in tar and pitch and set alight as candles for the garden of the Caesar. Some of them would be thrown to the lions for for entertainment, like going to watch the movies, and to animals. Some of them would be uh, crucified. And so that as people made their way to their holidays along the road, there would be Christians crucified along the way for people to watch. Some of them would have holes drilled in their heads and molten metal poured in while they're still alive. This is, these are the Christians that he's writing to. These are the seven lampstands among whom the Son of Man walks and, and, and through whom they shine so brightly. The power of God in their weakness These are the ones to whom John is the one who's in exile to whom Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. You see, so much the point of this vision to to weak Christians who are being persecuted is for them to get their eyes off the world and to set them on the glorious son of man who is the source of their power and the source of their strength in incredible weakness. I have this great book on my shelf. I have read it, but it's a great title. The title's almost enough. It's called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And isn't that so often our problem? People are big and God is small. And so we live to please other people and in fear of other people when God is too small. But the whole point of this revelation in chapter 1 is to correct that. And to see when God is big and when people are small and and, and he's bringing this revelation to these persecuted Christians to enable them to endure and to persevere and to shine brightly for him to get their eyes off the situations in the world. So many of your problems, dear brothers and sisters, is because the people and the problems are big and God is small. And the gift of this revelation is that God becomes big in our imagination and these things become small. To encourage them to endure, to shine brightly for Him. So, friends, if you're not feeling overwhelmed by this at this stage, then you you haven't been listening. (laughs) How are we going to do this? How are we going to fulfill our calling as a lampstand? shining the brightness and the beauty and the blessing of God into our community in a way that he gets noticed more and more and more, and people come to him. Well, that brings us to the final point, which is the source of God's light, the source of God's light. It's good for us to recognize our weakness because In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul points something out. He points out that at the beginning of time, the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep. There was nothing there. But then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So if God could create the world that we live in without any raw material, surely he can build this church through sinners like us, inadequate and weak and sinful as we are, who've been saved by grace and turn us into a resplendent lampstand that shines for his glory, beauty and brightness. Surely that the Jesus that we see in our passage today can take any corporate chaos that he might see in Cottesloe and bring order and life and turn it into light and beauty through the word of his mouth and the radiance of his face. Speaking of the radiance of his face, there's a story in Exodus 33 and 34 where Moses goes into the tent of meeting to speak with God and when he comes out, his face is radiant and it's so bright and resplendent with the glory of God that they say, Matt, can you put a veil over that because it's too bright and it's too glorious. And it talks about in that prayer when he's talking with God, he, Moses says to God, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. That's where he says, Lord, I don't want to go if you don't go with us. What else will separate us? What else will distinguish us? How else will they know if you don't go with us? But God says to him, you cannot see my face. For humans cannot see my face and live. Which to me raises a really interesting question. How was John able to see his face and live? In verse 16. How was he able to do it? He he says, he showed us his face. His face was shining like the sun at midday. And then then like that, like um, God said to Moses in Exodus 33, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Like a dead man. He didn't die, but he was like a dead man. So how do we go from no one can see my face and live to his face is shining like the radiant sun and I fell down as a dead man. Or, or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that we have seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says about us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that we have seen his face through the preaching of the gospel. In the light of the... How do we get to that? Let me tell you how. It's because the curse and the darkness that belongs to us was put upon Jesus on the cross. And the brightness and the light and the blessing that belonged to him, the perfect son of man, was given to us. Isn't that awesome? So that in Numbers 6, the priestly blessing, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. There was no one more deserving of that blessing than the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, He was handed over to violent men to be crushed and and crucified. Number six, the priestly blessing says, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And yet it says in Mark 15 that when it was noon and Jesus was on the cross, darkness came over the whole land. Number six says, The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. But Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all eternity, the eternal Son of God looked to the Father's face and all there was was darkness and no light because he took the curse and the darkness that we deserve for the evil inside of us. And he gave us the glorious, resplendent delight of the Father instead. That's why Jesus can say, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, not you should be the light of the world. You are the light of the world because the evil and the darkness that was in you I swallowed up on the cross. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that darkness has been completely swallowed up through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead, you have the glorious, radiant, resplendent glory of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the blessing, beaming, pleased face of the Father is on you. You are the light of the world. And so now go fulfill your calling to be a lampstand together, shining brightly the blessing of God in the community so that people might see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. You are the light of the world so that you can show to people the beauty and the glory of a truly transformed life by his grace and his goodness. And the extent to which you understand what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross will be the extent to which you shine brightly, and beautifully for him. Friends, be of good cheer, be of good courage, be of good faith. He's done it all where his his lamp stands, by his mercy and by his grace. The one amidst whom the glorious son of man walks and shines. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we glorify you. Lord, we can't wait for you to return, that we would see you in all of the fullness of your glory. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we might be resplendent with your goodness and your beauty. Lord, please help us to see the blessing of your light in the world and to be that to those around us. Father, in our weakness and inadequacy to these things, would you show us the power of God's light to shine brightly through broken vessels and weak churches like us. And Lord, show us the source of God's light, that Jesus, you took it all the darkness on yourself and for those who put their trust in you as a free gift of grace are transformed from darkness into light, glorious light. And so Lord, may we see more and more that shining brightly in this community, that many might come to know you for Jesus' sake. Amen.